0: So how you guys doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. You know, you get, every week you guys get better and better at that, which is pretty amazing. And uh, so, so great to see you guys. My name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter. I want to welcome everyone out to the greatest place to be on a Friday night. Just so grateful to see you guys, whether you're here at the Sanctuary Church in the Father's House or online Whether you're in Illinois, whether you're in Louisville, Kentucky, say hello to the Heinz family and all our friends and Tim Marshall and all these people that join us online. We love you guys and and we're just so grateful that we get to do this each and every week. Uh, We're kicking off a prayer series tonight, so I thought it would be appropriate for us to open up in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for the power of prayer. We thank you today that you're all loving, all knowing, and you have better answers than what we can pray for. So, Father, we just thank you that sometimes what we think is a no is a not yet because we're not ready to handle the bigger revelation and the bigger manifestation of the presence that you have for us that can only come through the power of prayer. Thank you so much that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us So that we can receive what he did for us, so that we can have a personal relationship with you. And the best way that we can enhance that relationship is through the power of prayer until we see you face to face. Thank you for the wonderful gift of prayer that we can pray for heaven here on earth, that we can loose things here on earth as we loose them in heaven, that we can pray with the Holy Spirit, that we can pray for the battles in our lives, that we can pray your promises, that we can pray your word, and that we can pray for victory and experience and live out that victory in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, teach us how to pray so that we can touch heaven and heaven can touch us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, listen, why are we doing a prayer series? And, you know, one of the things that the apostles asked Jesus, they didn't ask him for a lot of things, but one of the things they they said is teach us how to pray. So that's what we're going to do in this prayer series. That's where we're going. Why pray? What is prayer? What is the purpose of prayer? How can I pray more effectively? How can I pray and know that God hears me? How can I pray and take my thoughts captive? And win the battlefield of my mind. How can I pray the armor of God and win the spiritual battles in my life? How can I pray and touch heaven? How can I pray like people did in the Bible and experience what they've experienced? Get the same type of answers. How can I pray like that? If there are thousands of promises in the Bible that are all yes and amen, How do I pray for those promises in my life? How do I know which promises are for me? How do I find the right promise? How do I know what promises to pray for other people if they are? Yes and amen. And they are yes and amen for those that are in Christ. How do I know how to pray God's word effectively over my life? What would happen if I would study the Bible as a book of prayers? How would that change my life? I will tell you that it changed my life. When I first became a follower of Jesus, I asked God to show me this book as a book of prayer. And I studied every single prayer that was ever prayed in this book for about three years. And I asked God to show me what was in that prayer, what the motive behind that prayer was, why you answered that prayer, how you answered that prayer, and how I can pray that same way and expect the same results that people in the Bible experience. And I will tell you that the Bible came alive to me when that happened. I will tell you that God's word came alive to me. I will tell you that the Holy Spirit just lit me up when I did that. And I just became just obsessed with this thing called prayer. And it just meant so much to me. As a matter of fact, the, the first Christian book that I ever read was Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim simbola of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It just lit me up. And it just changed my perspective and my whole thought process about what is prayer and how we should be praying the same exact way. Matter of fact, one of his quotes in that book, is, and this is Jim Symbolis speaking, he says, as a preacher myself, let me be blunt ear. Preaching itself can easily become a subtle form of entertainment. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to ask me if I was a clever orator. He's not going to ask me how many books I wrote. He is only going to ask whether I continued in the line of men and women starting way back in the time of Adam's grandchildren who led others to call upon God. And so when I decided to say yes to ministry, God asked me and told me and charged me, are you going to lead people to where the action is? Because where the action is, is prayer. It always is in the posture of prayer. It always is in power praying. It always is in believing God through prayer. And you may be thinking, what in the world does prayer have to do with spiritual growth and specifically recovery? You want me to tell you? Everything. Because it's not spiritual growth. There's no such recovery program without the power of prayer and teaching you how to pray in it. The steps don't work until you learn how to pray the steps over your life to accomplish the steps in your life. They don't work until you learn how to pray the power of God over your life, pray the armor of God over yourself each and every day, how to learn how to pray, how to take your thoughts captive in your life because behind every self-defeating behavior or emotion that you give into is a lie that you believe in, and you have to combat that lie with a truth that you have to pray over yourself so that you can take those thoughts captive and live in victory each and every day. And that's one of the benefits of praying. And that's why we pray, and that's why we learn how to pray, and that's one of the things we're going to learn how to pray in this series. You need to know, and you need to learn how to pray for God's antidote for every problem you'll ever face in life. And the answer is always found in prayer. You, know, you need to know how to build up your arsenal of weapons in prayer to combat what the enemy, what this world, and what our old nature throws at us each and every day. Those are our three mortal enemies. I'm talking about praying God's word. I'm talking about praying the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed on the cross for you over your life each and every day for victory. I'm talking about how to pray and dispatch angels on your behalf that God will do if you pray for them to do battle for you in the unseen world that will give you victory over the spiritual battles in your life. I'm talking about how to pray with and for the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? What does that mean? How do we do that in our lives? We're going to learn how to do all of that in this prayer series. Are you excited about that? I am. If you're not, I am. Charles Spurgeon said, if your faith in Christ doesn't lead you to pray, then have nothing to do with it, get rid of it, and ask God to help you to begin over again. If you're not being taught how to pray, to overcome life's adversities, where you are right now, then you're part of a program or church that could care less about your life and spiritual growth. I'm talking about teaching you not about prayer, but teaching you how to pray. And that's what we're going to learn in this series. See, the purpose of prayer is to get to know the God of the universe in a personal way by spending time with Him, waiting on Him, being in His presence, and trusting Him. The ultimate goal of prayer is to become like Jesus in purpose and personality. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, as Pastor Marty loves to say. You start shifting your prayer life by asking God to make you more... To make you act more like Jesus, love like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, bless people like Jesus, see people through the eyes of Jesus, then get ready because your prayer life is going to soar to the next level. You see, he's the creator of the universe who formed you to have a loving relationship with him that you spend time with him in his presence. That's what prayer is. You do that by praying to Him, listening to Him, waiting on Him, trusting Him, surrendering to Him, believing in Him, running after Him, and becoming like Him in all that you do. If you study the Bible, and I hope you do, prayer is talked about and written about more than any other subject when you look at all the prayers that are in the Bible and what was talked about them. There are hundreds of prayers recorded in the Bible. And each and every one of them can teach you something about the heart of God that can help you pray more effectively. This is so crucial. I will tell you that I've worked in mega churches, nothing like the churches here. I've worked in just a phenomenal church ran ran 18,000 people in Colorado, a church that ran almost 9,000 people in Illinois. And I don't recall Ever once where we got together for the sole purpose of what the staff and the people to get together just to pray, just to pray. We just don't pray anymore. Jesus, when talking about the church and the most important thing about the church that he said, he gave a title to what the church should be. And he said, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. He never gave it a different name. He never said it was going to be called a place of worship, although worship is good. He never said it was going to be a place of teaching, although teaching is good. And don't get me wrong, I love doing this, but the only name he gave, the only title he gave is my father's house, will be called a house of prayer. The atmosphere in wherever you go should always be prayer. That people should be praying for you. That there's always opportunities. But that prayer is surrounding everything. Everything revolves around prayer. You know, one of the, my heroes when it comes to prayer is my wife. I just, she just inspires me each and every day to just pray more effectively. And wherever we go, wherever God has sent us, he's always challenged me to encourage people in the area of faith and prayer. You guys know this about me. So when I took that job in Colorado, one of the things, the first things that we did was the pastor said, we're gonna take all the pastors and leaders to a drive conference. Now a drive conference is an Andy Stanley conference and it was the first time that Andy Stanley and Charles Stanley, Andy's dad, was speaking for the first time at a conference. And so my wife prayed about it and my wife, after she's, prays about the whole event. She says, well, Bill, you're going to meet Charles Stanley. I prayed about it. You're going to meet Charles Stanley. You got to understand that my wife has a history with Charles Stanley. When we were going through all of our issues in marriage and, you know, before I became a Christian, Charles Stanley ministered to my wife on the radio and she would listen to him all the time. Carolyn's dad got saved at 70 years old watching Charles Stanley on television after a TV episode. And that meant so much to her. And so when we, we had this conference, she said, well, everyone's going to just run towards Andy because everyone loves Andy. He says, but you're supposed to meet Charles Stanley. You know." And I'm like, how do you know this stuff? You know. And, and, and so she just doesn't stop there. She goes to my stand. there were 23 of us that flew out to, to Georgia to the drive conference to see Andy and Charles. Well, she actually goes beyond telling me she sees a lot of people on my staff, other pastors and other leaders in the church. She goes, oh, by the way, Bill <laughs> is going to meet Charles Stanley. I'm not sure if you know this. I said, How do you know this stuff? And they're like looking at her like she's some crazy woman because she's just telling them what's going to happen before we fly down there. But we fly down there and uh, we get there a day earlier and we're in this like really large restaurant, P.F. Chang's. I'm a big P.F. Chang's guy, by the way. <laughs> and... Uh, And so we're sitting there, and there's 23 of us in one section, and so they all, they were like joking with me, I said, well, I guess you're going to meet Charles Stanley and all this stuff, and so we're sitting at the restaurant, and sure enough, about a half hour after we're sitting there, someone walks in the restaurant, and I notice that it is Charles Stanley, and he sits on the other end of the restaurant, this is probably the biggest P.F. Chang's I've ever been in, in Alpharetta, Georgia, and so, and so I just, I just told everyone on staff, I said, I said, you won't believe who's in here, it's, it's, Charles Stanley, and so I called my wife up, and I I said, "Uh, honey, I said, I'm in Georgia, I'm at a P.F. Chang's, and you'll never believe who walked in the restaurant, she said, Charles Stanley, I'm thinking, how does she know this stuff, and she, and then she tells me, well, don't go over and say anything, because you'll blow the whole deal, (laughs) because she knows my personality, she goes, just sit down where you're at, if God wants this to happen, it'll happen, She goes, just sit down. So I sit down because I take instructions well because she has the gift of knowledge. She knows everything I'm supposed to do and I'm good with that. And so I sit down and uh, we're talking about this, uh, you know, with everyone on on my staff. And about 10 minutes later, Charles Stanley gets up and starts walking across the entire restaurant. He doesn't acknowledge a single person. There are hundreds of people in this restaurant. He stops by our table. There's six of us at the table. Doesn't acknowledge anyone at the table. Stops right in front of me. Looks me eye to eye and says, son, tell me who you are, where you're from and why you're here. I said, Dr. Stanley, I said, I'm from I'm a pastor in Colorado, and we're here to see you speak. And he said, Wash this is great. And he just had me introduce everyone, and everyone's jaw was just on the table. They couldn't believe it. And then he says, have a nice conference. And he leaves, and I called my wife up, and I said, honey, I said, you'll never believe what happened. She goes, he came over and spoke to you. How do you know this stuff? And as I'm having this conversation with her on the phone, I get this tap on my shoulder, and it's Charles Stanley, and he comes back. And he says, son, I think I'm supposed to have a conversation with you. I said, you know what? My wife prayed that this would happen. Just talk to her. (laughs) And I give him the phone. And my wife had an opportunity to tell Dr. Charles Stanley how much his ministry meant to her. And how she thanked him for her dad and how he ministered to her when it came to us. And then he finished talking to her, and he looked at me, and he said, he started talking to me about the power of prayer. And we had this conversation about God's faithfulness and the power of prayer. And I loved that. One of the scriptures that he shared with me was in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, which says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. What a great promise, right? Credible promise. So let me ask you a question. Did you ever pray something knowing it was the will of God and feel like God didn't answer that prayer? Did you feel like God said no? and because of that, you gave up praying? Me too many times and if we know as believers that what we know what we have we ask why does God seem to be distant at times and make us wait before our prayers get answered we're going to tackle that issue tonight now if any of you know me you know that I'm a person I just don't like waiting I'm not fond of long lines or anything. I don't like traffic jams. I don't like waiting on a grocery line in a 15-line item line with someone with 20 items in front of me because I am counting the items. I don't like waiting on a long line for a cup of coffee that's going to make me more impatient. I don't like a slow computer. I don't like the fact that I have to wait at least two minutes for my hands to dry in a restroom that doesn't have paper towels, and I have never left the restroom. I've always washed my hands, but I never recall a time when my hands were fully dry. I just don't like, I just don't have the patience to wait for them. It takes too long. I'm sorry I had to share that with you, but I just needed to. Most of us don't like to wait. We live in the McDonald's Burger King society, don't we? We have to have it now. I don't know about you, but I tend to pray that way. I have a tendency that when I don't get the answers I want, I get frustrated at times, and I miss out on what God's doing and what he's trying to teach me. And tonight we're going to look at a few stories in the Bible that I believe will help understand this puzzling and sometimes frustrating fact about getting our prayers answered when we want. And I believe that these stories will teach us what to do. How to pray better when that happens. So let's look at story number one. It's found in Matthew 15. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. There's some Bibles in front of you. Just pull it out. It's Just go to the right. It's the first of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 and 28. It's the, it's the story of the Canaanite woman. It says this, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Some of your moms are going, amen. (laughs) I know what that means. But watch this now. Watch this. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him. They make things worse. Here's this lady praying, pleading with God, and the disciples come to Jesus and said, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, and this seems to make it worse. It looks like this, this is like a complete diss. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Wow, that's like three disses. That's like three rejections. Back to back to back. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Fourth, rejection. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered, whoa, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus didn't even need to go. Notice first how the Canaanite woman approached Jesus. She came. She knelt and cried out to him. If you're writing and you're filling the blanks, that's what she did. She came. She knelt. She cried out. Some of you have cried out prayers to God. Some of you have come to God boldly crying out, like it says in Hebrews four sixteen. let us approach the throne of grace with boldness or confidence where we'll find mercy and grace in the time of need this woman did that and more but if you look at verse 23 Jesus flat out ignores her request have you ever prayed something so desperate to experience nothing in response to what you've been praying for any me too's on that have you mistaken many of what you thought were no was God saying not yet I wonder how many of us, including me, gave up praying for something just when God was getting ready to answer. I will tell you, I have been guilty of this. I can look back and say that I lack the discernment and the spiritual maturity, which simply is trusting God no matter what the circumstances that God expects from me. And subsequently, I have given up on some prayers. I have done this. I think we ranked the words, not yet. as as some of the most awful in the English language. There's an impatient child in each of us that wants God to grant every request immediately. And when our all-wise, loving Heavenly Father says, not yet, what's our mature adult response? (laughs) But God, you don't understand my situation. Do you hear me? I need it now. I need it right now. Do you see what they're doing? Do you see the predicament I am in right now? But God's neither impressed or intimidated. He simply says, kick and scream if you must. But you can't have it yet. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Be weary of insisting that you know better than God. His delays usually are in his denials. Sometimes he delays in order to test our faith. Other times so we can alter our requests. As we come to understand the situation better, we may be glad to modify our prayer and make it more in line with his will because God will reveal himself. He may not give you the answers that you want about certain circumstances, but he will will reveal himself when you seek him and you seek his face with all your heart. See, sometimes God delays so he can develop in us qualities like discipline, trust, compassion, even submission. Most spiritual gains only come through struggle. If we had our way, how long would any of us put up with these wonderful character builders without asking God to remove them? Often we're not able to see the reason for the delay. But that isn't surprising because God says, neither are my ways your ways. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts. You can't think like me and you can't speak for me when I'm getting ready to do something that's going to just blow your mind. Often we think God, God is saying no only to discover that he's saying not yet. So that he can orchestrate even a greater result than we could ever imagine. Looking back at the story of Jesus and this Canaanite woman. There are a lot of factors and we could spend a lot of time talking about it. But I think it's important to look at her. I think it's important to look at how she responded. She could have easily walked away discouraged. She could have easily walked away mad at God. Like so many do when we think God doesn't answer our prayers. God where were you in that situation? She wasn't going to be denied. She comes back with a higher level of urgency and boldness in verse 25. She gets on her knees and she says, Lord, help me. She became a prayer objection handler. I used to be in the the business world. I used to work for a big telecom corporations in sales. And when I couldn't get a sales deal done, I had to go to my manager to get what's called an ICB. And they would write an ICB that would help me handle the objection of no... You can't have my business. And they would train me to handle every no until, that, until the customer said yes. Whether it be from, from, from starting A, from getting an appointment, to closing a deal, they would teach you how to handle that objection until they would actually say yes. They would teach you how to become an objection handler so that you can get the customer to always say yes. We have to become like that in our prayers. She became a prayer objection handler, and finally when she did, Jesus and this woman began engaging in conversation. Now, there was an issue of her not being Jewish, but she didn't care because she knew that any leftover power from Jesus was good enough to heal her daughter. The reality of this story is that she never gives up. She cries. She gets on her knees. She talks it out. She demonstrates a level of faith that's worth modeling, and it was this woman's faith that gave her the will to persevere. And her request was granted. It's our faith that will give her the, that will, that's going to give us the perseverance to prevail in prayer. It's our faith that's going to help us when we get a response like from Jesus like this woman did. The difference between faithful people and unfaithful people is unfaithful people give up at the first sign of difficulty. Faithful people keep on keeping on. Faithful people are determined. They do what other people aren't willing to do. Faithful people are diligent. We're persistent. We don't know how to quit. We just know how to keep on keeping on. We go to the throne before we go to the phone. Faithful people fight with God fighting their battles. They're not doing it in their own power. Faithful people don't know how to give up. I'm not that smart, but I do know this. It's always too soon to quit. You're never a failure until you quit. And it's always too soon to quit. God uses tough times to test our persistence. See, God is more interested in what you're becoming than what's happening to you. He often allows trials, troubles, tribulations, and problems to teach you diligence, determination, and build your character. The problem that you might be going through right now, it's a test of your faithfulness. Will you continue to serve God? Will you continue to pray? Will you pray with perseverance until you get the answer. Another one of my wife's favorite passages. There's another inspirational story that, about her and the power of prayer. Matthew 18, 19 says, I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything that you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. I love that promise. In other words, if any of you agree on earth, if you grab hands, you grab another person, and two of you agree on earth to ask anything Concerning anything, my father will give it to you. Of course, he's talking about praying God's will. And so, when we were living in Kentucky, and I started working for that telecom company. It was a big telecom company. And I was coming off a rough season in my life. And we, we, were, we, we just made a bunch of financial mistakes. We were never in a position to ever buy a house. We never even thought about owning a house, we rented a house, and it was a a nice house, but my wife is like an adventurous person, she can't do the same thing over twice, She, she can't cook the same meal twice the same way, she has to do it differently, she can't come home the same way, she has to go down a different route, even if it means going down to Malibu to come home to Castaic, she will go to Malibu, just because it's a different route, and that's what she does, so one day she's coming home, and she just decides to go through this neighborhood, and she sees a sign for an open house. And she goes, Bill, there's an open house. Let's go see it. We can't buy a house. Let's go see it. So we go into this house. We walk into this house. We're not in the house for two minutes. And Carolyn grabs me. We're in the kitchen. She goes, God's going to give us this house. Go talk to them. What? How do you know this stuff? What is this? Yeah, she sends me. It's like, I got to go do the dirty work. So So I go talk to them. I said, Listen, we, we, we're not in a position to really buy a house. My wife just took a detour and, you know, <laughs> we're just here, you know. But it, we love this home. They said, you really do? And I actually knew the, uh, the person, one of them, was the daughter of, of a guy that owned a bunch of golf courses in Kentucky. And when I said that, they said, well, we didn't want anyone to buy this house that we didn't know. And we know you guys, and we want you to have this house. We want you to live here. I said, well, I'm not in a position to buy it. So just to condense a long story, we worked out a deal to where I would just rent it from them, rent to own. And then after several months, I would have to come up with $5,000, and they would turn over the, uh, the mortgage to me. And then I would own the house. Uh, And then we were living it. They said, but you can come move in it now. But the deal is you have to come up with the $5,000. And if I couldn't come up with the $5,000, then I would have to forfeit the house. That sort of was the deal. And so I had zero dollars in the bank. I had no money in the bank whatsoever. But I started a new job. And it was basically commission. And so, uh, but we started praying about the money. Lord, you just, Lord, I know you want us to have this house. We're moving in it. I said, you've got to give us the $5,000. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And for some reason, no money. There was no money in the bank. What's, and money wasn't coming in. Because there was a long cycle. I had to wait for money to come in. But I had joined a prayer group, an FCA prayer group of about 50 guys that just believed in the power of prayer. And we just prayed about it. And I prayed about it. And my wife prayed about it. And so it was several weeks before a couple of months go by. And it's time. We actually set a specific date where I had to come up with the $5,000. And we're starting to get a little, God, are you hearing us? God, uh, are you there? And so I just go a little ahead of the situation, or so I thought. I called up the, the CFO of this big company, and I said, listen, I know I'm new here, uh, but I'm working on a lot of deals, and I was just wondering if there's any way that I can get uh, an advance of $5,000 on all my commissions coming in. So the lady Uh, The best way I can explain it is that she was just a hard-nosed tequila-drinking woman. (laughs) And she laughed at me on the phone and said, Ha-ha, we don't do that. Boom, it hangs up. Okay, that's okay. So I told Carolyn what happened that night. And you know what Carolyn said? She grabbed my hand. She goes, Let's pray for her. And that night she prayed that God would bless her, that God would touch her, that God would do something supernatural in her life. That's important. That's an important prayer, and so now came another week, and now it's the week. And that prayer breakfast that I met with was on Tuesday mornings. It's Tuesday, and I'm, I have a lunch appointment at twelve noon. It's seven in the morning. I'm walking to the prayer meeting, and how much money do you, get, you think I got in the bank? Zero dollars. And so we get up to the prayer breakfast and some guy that always leads to prayer breakfast starts out the prayer in a very different way. He gets up and he starts praying and he says, someone in this room needs a financial miracle. And God wants to give it to you. And as he said that, I said, in my spirit, I said, that would be me. <laughs> that would be me. I need that miracle. This, this obviously is you, God. And before I could say, me, a guy got up and said, I've been out of work for a couple of months, and I'm behind several months on my mortgage payments, and if I don't make a mortgage payment, I'm going to be homeless, and I'm going to be out on the street. And I thought to myself, because I'm this, like, really strong follower, I said, who does that guy think he is stealing my blessing? (laughs) That was my miracle. Who does he think he is? And here I am coveting, sinning, and sinking really fast. And I caught myself, and I prayed to God. And I remember praying this prayer, Lord, forgive me, and whatever you were going to give me today, give that man double, because he needs it more than I do. And I had never seen this before, but money came out of that prayer breakfast like I've never seen. Thousands of dollars that morning. And I remember going up to that guy and I said, brother, I said, man, I sinned against you today and I need your forgiveness. And he hugged me. He said, that, well, he said that's great. That's fine. And he says, you're, you're forgiven. And I walked out of there so happy. You know why? Because I heard from God. I sinned against God. God forgave me. God answered my prayer, and someone else got blessed, and for me, that was a miracle. And I was so happy, I was skipping the work that day. But guess how much money I had in the bank? Zero. Well, I get to work, I sit down in my, in, in, in my office, in my cubicle, and the phone rings. It's that CFO. She sounded drunk as a skunk. <laughs> she calls me up, and these were her exact words. She says, "Bill." Uh, I I I don't know why I'm doing this, and and you're not to tell anyone. But I just sent a courier to to deliver a check for five thousand dollars to you. <laughs> you're gonna have it before noon. She didn't know I had a meeting at noon. I needed five thousand dollars. I didn't tell I didn't tell her the exact amount. I just said I needed it in advance. They delivered that check to me almost before 1130, and I went to go meet the guy who owned the house. And when I met the guy, you know what the first words out of this guy's mouth was? He says, how can I be a Christian like you? I said, you want to be a Christian like me? You don't want to be a Christian like me. <laughs> I said, "But well, let me tell you how God used you to answer a big prayer. And I took him through the whole scenario. You know what he said? Keep the money. I said, oh, no, no, no. I said, I I take this check back, lightning will hit me, and I'm gone. (laughs) I said, you keep the money. And they've been such a blessing. You know, that that guy today is rounding up people and asking them to pray to support Encounter in Kentucky as we're talking this week. Yeah. So, God is faithful. Story number two, the parable of the persistent widow, Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and never give up. I'm going to go through this real quick because we've got to wrap this up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet yet because this widow, yet because these people I encounter keep bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Here it is, who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, here it is again, this faith thing. Will he find faith on the earth? I think we can get some insight again. Same story. Here's her, here's her four elements of praying. She kept coming to God. She kept bothering God. She kept wearing God out. And she cried out to God day and night. She kept coming, bothering, wearing God out, and crying out to God day and night. Does that describe your prayer life? Not mine. But I'm getting there, and I'm getting back to those basics. Real quick, one last story. And I just want to, I just think just reading the text of this, the text of this is enough. I've seen this this story read at funerals, but I think this story is going to put an exclamation point on what what God is trying to teach us tonight. It's the story of Lazarus in John 11. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. You would think that would give him incentive to just move right there, right? The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said, let's go in a different direction. Let's go to Judea. Let's pick it up in verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, because, you know, they didn't get it. Lord, if he sleeps he will get better. Jesus had been speaking on his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. Hey, disciples, he's dead. I'm not talking about sleeping. He's dead. And he says, for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Don't miss this, so that you may believe. Sometimes you don't get an answer. You know why? So that you may believe. Sometimes you don't hear from God right away, so that you may believe. You see, we do the opposite. When we don't hear from God, we stop believing. God says, I want to see if I hold my answer so that you may believe. Don't miss that in this story. But let us go to him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Here was her response. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now that even God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I'm about to do something better than what you asked me for. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said that. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Fast forward now to Mary. She reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said something different. No, she didn't. She said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and all the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he says, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And th- these next two words, Jesus wept. If you don't think that God cares about you and what goes on about you, just read those two words in verse John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. If he has been there four days, he's going to stink. It's going to be a wrench. And then Jesus, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. This is one of the prayers I've learned to pray. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. One of the greatest prayers of faith that you could ever pray is, Lord, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. Mm. Jesus prayed that for our benefit. Do you know how God-honoring that is? That before you start out with your list, you can say, Lord, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. It's a great reminder, not for God, but for you. God put that in there for our benefit. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There's two great books that I want to encourage you to get. One is Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Simbler, read it and your life is going to get turned around. And one of his recommendations for me, if you want to be encouraged about prayer, is this book from Nick Harrison called Magnificent Prayer. There's 366 devotionals about prayer in it. And I'm going to read a devotional based on the story of Lazarus. And and it says this, and this is from Oswald Chambers. It says, how many of us have been blind in our prayers? Look back and think of the prayers you thought had not been answered, but now find that God has answered with a bigger manifestation than you ever dreamed. God has trusted you in the most intimate way. He could trust you with an absolute silence. Not of despair, but of pleasure. Because He saw you could stand a much bigger revelation than you had at the time. Some prayers are followed by silence because they are wrong. Others because they are bigger than we can understand. Jesus stayed where he was, a positive staying, because he loved Martha and Mary. Did they get Lazarus back? They got infinitely more. They got to know the greatest truth mortal beings can ever know, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. It will be a wonderful moment when we stand before God and find that the prayers we clamored for in early days and imagined were never answered, have been answered in the most amazing way, and that God's silence has been the sign of the answer. Pray about this from W.J. Harney. The silence of God in response to our prayers isn't a sign that He has not heard or will not grant our request. Many prayers think that God's silence means they have done something wrong and thus he won't answer. But Martha and Mary had done nothing wrong. Their request of Jesus was good and he complied in his own time, not theirs. As a result, their blessing was even greater than their original request. God's silence may offer proof that the answer has come or will come in a greater way than we suppose. Don't fence God in with your expectations of his action. His silence itself may be the action that grants your prayer. As you pray today, God may be silent, but the answer you need is on its way. Nevertheless, prayer is knocking at the door. Faith is the expectation that it will be opened. Let's worship.